0: At the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., is a unique exhibition, the Insect Zoo. It is a display of insects of all manner, a myriad of insects that you may have encountered uh, or perhaps have not encountered but have always longed to know a bit more about. The audio described tour of the Insect Zoo was a project supported by the D.C. Aid Association of the District of Columbia and resulted in part by a residency by Dr. Francisco Lima, a blind audio describer and audio description professor in Recife, Brazil, who had a one-year postdoctoral fellowship at the museum to study Insects and how they can best be described, how language can be used to convey the size and shape and quality and nature of these insects. At the same time, we were developing this insect zoo tour, and um, it hasn't uh, quite been posted yet, but we are privy to a preview of it for you here. It's voiced by myself, Joel Snyder, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Introduction Welcome to the O. Orkin Insect Zoo at the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of Natural History. Visitors get to observe, learn about, and possibly even handle insects and other arthropods. The zoo has displays of live insects, preserved specimens, illustrations, and a few tactile and interactive elements. The Insect Zoo is on the second floor of the museum, and this tour begins at the entrance from the Eternal Life in Ancient Egypt exhibit. If you enter from the Butterfly Pavilion Hall, walk through the zoo to where it exits on the other side. This is an audio-described tour, developed to make the visual aspects of the exhibit more accessible to visitors who are blind or have low vision. The tour goes through the insect zoo in 15 sections, plus this introduction and a conclusion. This recorded tour has the core tour tracks, with directions and a brief description of what's on display, including a summary of the text. If you want to learn more, you can find detailed descriptions and complete exhibit text scripts for all sections, along with these core descriptions, in a screen reader accessible document on the museum's website. The descriptions of the enclosures, which are the displays with live animals, will reflect what you are likely to find and sometimes notable behaviors, rather than describe a static scene. Note that, by their nature, these exhibits change constantly, and sometimes the resident species are not on display. Signs on the live animal enclosures say... Please do not tap the glass. Before we start, a note on measurements. Scientists generally use metric measurements like centimeters rather than imperial units like inches. This tour will use metric for describing exhibit contents and imperial for navigation. For comparison, there are about 2.5 centimeters in an inch and about 30 centimeters in a foot. A millimeter is one-tenth of a centimeter. For a reference, you might have in your pocket a U.S. nickel coin. is almost two centimeters across and almost two millimeters high. Let's begin our tour starting just before you enter from the Ancient Egypt exhibit. On the far left is the exit from the rainforest section. We'll get there in Section 12. For now, head to the large hallway entrance to the right. The wall to your left is covered in a large mural reaching to the ceiling, showing huge plants from a bug's eye view. Grass, violets, clover, Queen's Anne's lace, and more grow up from the ground reaching to the ceiling. Toy wood blocks nearly a half meter high are tumbled on the ground to read ZOO in yellow, blue, and red letters. A black grasshopper sits atop the blue O block and a green praying mantis stares out from next to the red O. Other insects rests on leaves, flowers, and a fallen branch. On the left side, a diamond-shaped plexiglass sign reads, O Orkin Insect Zoo. This exhibit was made possible through a generous donation from Orkin Pest Control. From where you are standing, the zoo extends forward 25 yards, This hallway has displays on either side for the first 15 yards. At that point, the displays on the left side wrap around a corner and the right end of a life-size model of an African termite mound. Walking past the termite mound, you'll reach a large open area with sets of windows that look over the National Mall to the south, straight ahead, and west to the right. With displays in the far right corner, and along the left side. If instead of walking straight from the termite mound, you were to turn to the left, the displays continue on your left and on the opposite side for about six yards. From there is another hallway to the left, the rainforest section of the insect zoo, and straight ahead is the zoo exit to the butterfly pavilion. The rainforest exhibit is about 16 yards long and exits into the ancient Egypt exhibit to your left. In the open space ahead, volunteers may have insect and arachnid carts out and tarantula feedings occur three times a day, weekdays at 10.30, 11.30 and 1.30 and weekends at 11.30, 12.30 and 1.30. Be aware that this area can get crowded, particularly during the feedings, and that the carts and a couple low stools may be in place in different locations throughout the space. You can visit the carts or feedings at any point during your visit. They're covered in section 15. Most of the zoo has dark blue-green walls that reach up about nine feet where the top edge is cut in contours like the silhouette of forest treetops against the background of mottled colors that reach up and end one foot below the ceiling, 13 feet above. Many sections have a short, sloped ledge that extends forward from the wall about 10 inches, at about 2 feet from the ground. To reach the first section, walk through the opening in front of you and turn to your right. Section 1. The Amazing Arthropods This section of the insect zoo is about 14 feet across with two side walls angling in to meet a center wall parallel to the hallway. On the left wall, inset circles of various sizes containing preserved arthropods or written facts cluster around the introduction text like bubbles and continue across to the top of the center wall above a labeled grasshopper diagram and an interactive display. The right wall has five display cases that extend out slightly, each with an enclosure containing an example of the different major classes of arthropods. This section introduces the insect zoo. Think of lobsters, spiders, beetles, centipedes, and millipedes. They all look different, but their bodies are built the same way, with segments that are fused together. They all belong to the same group of animals arthropods. Over millions of years, arthropods have managed to flourish everywhere from icy oceans to tropical rainforests, hot deserts to freshwater ponds. For nearly 475 million years, arthropods have evolved into different groups known as classes. On the right side wall, five tall display cases stand next to each other and extend forward a few inches. Each features a different class, with a live arthropod enclosure and a list of characteristics, including the number of body segments, antennae, and legs. The species in each enclosure may change, but will be from the same class. From left to right, the displays feature Class diplopoda, millipedes with a worm-like cylindrical body and many segments, one pair of antennae and many legs, two pairs of on most segments. Class crustacea, including sowbugs, crabs, and barnacles, with two body regions, a front cephalothorax, fused head and thorax, and an abdomen, two pairs of antennae, and five or more pairs of legs. Class insecta, insects, with three body regions, head, thorax, and abdomen, one pair of antennae, usually one to two pairs of wings, sometimes none, and three pairs of legs. Class Chilopoda, centipedes with a worm-like flattened body with many segments, one pair of antennae and many legs, one pair on most body segments. Class Arachnida, including spiders and scorpions with either a single body segment or both a cephalothorax and an abdomen no antennae, and four pairs of legs. The center wall on the left side has a diagram of a grasshopper, its body segments separated like a cut-apart illustration. The top of the diagram starts around five feet off the ground and is faintly tactile, so you may be able to feel it. It is slightly raised and has a tackier texture than the rest of the wall. The labeled body parts are exoskeleton, the arthropod's shell-like skeleton found on the outside of the body, moved by internal muscles. Antennae, the primary sense organs used to touch, smell, and feel vibrations. Head, the front segment, with the antennae, eyes, mouth, and brain, a bundle of nerve cells. Thorax, the middle segment that powers the arthropod with all the leg and wing muscles abdomen, the last segment with reproductive and digestive organs, oxygen-supplying spiracles, and some sensory organs. To the right of the diagram is an interactive display about bilateral symmetry. Two short inset windows are set at about three feet off the floor. Below are raised arrows pointing right over knobs. The windows show the left half of an illustrated insect, a butterfly on the left and a beetle on the right, with their heads at the top and abdomens pointing down. Moving the knob to the right swings a mirror to meet the edge of the illustration, making the image look complete with matching left and right sides. In the left wall, inset circles have lights that flicker on and off to illuminate the specimens inside, which include a large yellow moth with a furry body the size and shape of an adult's thumb, about 45 millimeters tall, with two pairs of wings that extend out, spanning 13 centimeters across and 15 centimeters tall from top to bottom. A brown millipede, its 1.5-centimeter-wide body curled into a spiral 6.5 centimeters across. A shiny green beetle, its body just over 3 centimeters long, with frog-like back legs almost as long as the rest of its body. The next section is directly across the hall, along a single wall. Turn to face the opposite direction and walk across about 10 feet. Section 2. 300 Million Years Ago This section of the insect zoo is a 15-foot span of wall with a 6-foot-wide inset window showing a diorama of a prehistoric swamp scene. A ledge along the window has a labeled diagram of the diorama and a piece of amber. On the wall to the right, illustrations of hundreds of arthropods sweep up from a point near the ground, starting as a narrow stream of tiny drawings and widening in an S-shape, with an extra curve back at the top with larger and larger drawings. Midway up the illustration is an inset video screen. This section focuses on the early history of arthropods, which arose over 450 million years ago. They became the dominant life form in the Carboniferous period, about 300 million years ago, when the Earth's climate was warm and humid. Arthropods are still the major life form today, accounting for more than 90% of all animals on Earth. There may be more than 30 million insect species. The diorama depicts a carboniferous swamp at actual size. The walls around the diorama are painted with trees and small rises of land and a lizard-like pellicosaur reptile with a ridged sail on its back. The center area models a patch of water surrounded by fallen logs, plants, and animals. Several arthropods can be found, including a 30-centimeter-long dragonfly-like insect, about as long as an adult's forearm, wrist-to-elbow, and a light brown centipede, about 4 centimeters long. Below, a 3-centimeter-wide piece of amber is displayed in the ledge. The translucent material glows orange from the light above. A termite is visible in the amber. The dark body is curved down in a C-shape, and two pairs of overlapping wings fan out behind. Amber is hardened tree resin, which can trap and preserve soft-bodied insects like this 22-million-year-old termite and help scientists investigate insect history. To the right, A screen plays a video about how insects evolved on Earth. Narration plays from speakers at the bottom of the screen. The next section is to the right along this wall. Walk a few feet to the right to where the wall angles inward. Section 3 Thriving Through Change This section of the Insect Zoo is 14 feet wide with two side walls angling in to meet a center wall parallel to the hallway. A ledge runs along all three walls. The left wall has four large, touchable sculptures of insect heads. The center wall has two enclosures, photos, and a video. The right wall has a large gray drawing of a cricket, four feet across, and large photographs. This section explores some adaptations that have been key to insects' evolutionary success, high reproductive rates, short generation times, and specialized ways of eating, seeing, flying, and growing up. Insects have adapted to eating different diets, with the same mouth parts modified in different species. On the left wall, at different heights, are four clay-red sculptures of enlarged insect heads with purple mouth parts set against a rough rectangle. You can touch the sculptures to feel the head and mouth parts, Below each is a cartoon of the insect with tools for mouths. The leftmost sculpture, a foot above the ledge, is a grasshopper with basic chewing mouthparts that grind food. On the sculpture, the mouthparts are rounded plates at the bottom front of the head with finger-like appendages on either side. The cartoon grasshopper has a plier wrench for a head. Four inches to the right and a foot higher up is the next sculpture, a mosquito. It uses needle-tipped tubes to pierce plants and animals and suck out juice and blood. The round head has a long straight tube reaching down from the bottom center with two finger-like appendages and a grooved ribbon-like structure behind the tube. The cartoon mosquito has a syringe for a body. Four inches to the right and one and a half feet higher up is the next sculpture, a fly. Their mouths have scrapers for food and sponges for liquid. The head is like three overlapping spheres, the smooth sphere at top with two bumpy spheres, the compound eyes, pressed into the side. From the bottom, the mouth, as a stout tube, reaches down. Midway along the length of the tube, two thin appendages extend forward. The cartoon fly has a sponge for a mouth. Four inches to the right and starting lower, one and a half feet above the ledge, is the last sculpture, a butterfly. It sips nectar with a long tube, which on the sculpture reaches down and curls into a spiral. The cartoon butterfly has a straw for a mouth. Insects also have specialized ways of growing up, Most go through either complete or incomplete metamorphosis. Complete metamorphosis has distinct stages from egg to larva to pupa to adult. In incomplete metamorphosis, the egg becomes a nymph, which grows into an adult more gradually. The center wall has two enclosures. The ledge below has photos of each life stage and a video showing a swallowtail caterpillar becoming a butterfly. The enclosure on the left contains tobacco hornworms, an example of complete metamorphosis. The enclosure has small plants growing in dirt. Eggs and the larvae, green caterpillars with thin red horns at one end, are found on the leaves. The pupae, glossy brown leathery capsules, are on the ground. The adults, mottled brown and gray moths, may be on the ground or on plants. The enclosure on the right contains white-spotted assassin bugs, an example of incomplete metamorphosis. The enclosure has a split log and plants. The adults are black insects, about three centimeters long, with a pair of white spots on their backs and a yellow band on their legs. The smaller nymphs are wingless, with red oval bodies and a wide stripe of yellow on their legs. The adults and larger nymphs are often on the log, while the smallest nymphs are usually on the ground and in the plants. The wall to the right has examples of sensory adaptations and flight. On the left are photos a dragonfly with a huge compound eye, a katydid with thin antennae three times its body length, and a katydid diagram showing the structures that make and sense sounds. On the right is a photo of a pair of mating dragonflies, bodies contorted into an outline of a heart, and a photo and specimen of a blowfly, which can fly 300 times its body length in a second. The next section is across the hall. Turn to face the opposite direction and walk across about 13 feet. Section 4. Dealing with Danger This section of the insect zoo is nine feet wide, with two side walls angling in to meet a center wall that is parallel to the hallway, with a ledge along the entire section. The center wall has a large image with a button below, flanked by two enclosures. The right side wall has three enclosures. The left side has a video screen, a photograph, and two displays with preserved specimens. This section focuses on defenses that insects use against birds and other enemies. Some use sharp spines or foul odors. For many species, their appearance helps them deal with danger. Some use camouflage, escaping notice by looking like parts of their surroundings. Others use bright colors to warn predators they are toxic. Some species mimic the colors or shapes of something toxic or ferocious, whether or not they have those defenses too. In the center wall, a large pane is set in the middle with a button on the ledge below. It shows an illustrated forest scene, a tree trunk reaching up on the right, and grass, bushes, and pink flowers growing on the ground. A close look may reveal outlines of camouflaged insects. Pushing the button below lights up parts of the image, revealing a beetle with long antennae and a moth on the trunk, a leaf-like insect hanging in the branches, a long stick-like insect, and a katydid in the bushes, and a mantis hiding among the flowers. The enclosure to the left contains Maclay's Spectre walking sticks. They are amazing lookalikes. Its eggs look like seeds, The nymphs resemble venomous ants, and adults are camouflaged as plants. Inside the enclosure is a bundle of branches with green leaves. Hiding among the branches are long insects in shades of brown and tan. The adult males are thin, nine centimeters long, and look like long, rolled-up dead leaves with mottled brown coloring. The adult females are slightly longer and wider, a lighter brown color, and are prickly-looking, like rough bark. A clear plastic hatchery with eggs and nymphs is on the ground. The eggs are about the size and shape of a popcorn kernel, with white and brown markings. The smallest nymphs have dark, thin bodies with a large red head. The right-side enclosure contains jungle nymphs, which have spikes and can give off a chemical smell or hiss if threatened. The brown males and larger green females both blend into the branches in the enclosure. The wall to the right has eastern lubber grasshoppers in the leftmost enclosure. The adults of these large grasshoppers have bright warning colors, mixtures of yellows, oranges, and reds with black markings. The center enclosure contains milkweed bugs. Their red and black color warns of the toxins stored in their bodies and Gained from eating milkweed, pods of which may be found in the enclosure. The adult milkweed bugs are about the size and shape of large sunflower seeds, colored black and reddish-orange. The nymphs are more bulbous, colored mostly orange, with some black markings. The brightmost enclosure contains giant walking-leaf insects. They are flattened and light-green with leaf-like vein patterns and some symmetrical patches of brownish-red. The left wall has examples of mimicry. You may hear narration from a video screen at the lower left that shows a bird encountering its first monarch butterfly. A bird that eats a toxic-laden monarch even once is likely to avoid orange and black butterflies and other similarly colored insects after that. On the ledge below... An inset display contains two orange and black butterflies, a viceroy and a monarch butterfly. On the right, an inset box with a sliding lens has pinned specimens, showing how some insects mimic more ferocious bees and wasps. Above, a photo shows a bee on a purple thistle flower. The next section continues to the left. Follow the wall to the left to where it turns. Section 5. Spider Strategies This section of the Insect Zoo consists of two sides of an angled corner, a six-foot wall next to the dealing-with-danger section, and a four-foot wall that extends away to the left. Both walls have black lines tracing a spider web that reaches up, and the top of the wall is cut in the shape of the web's edge. Four enclosures sit in an L-shape around the corner. On either side of the enclosures are photos and text. This section features spiders, carnivorous arthropods that use a diversity of strategies to capture insects. Web-spinning spiders are sit-and-wait hunters that spin silken tangles and sheets to capture prey. Active hunters use several strategies to track prey. Some rely on vision, others on touch or vibrations. And some use camouflage, too. On the wall on the right are six numbered photographs of spider webs. Some have strands like spokes on a wheel with a line spiraling out from the center, while others appear more tangled. Some have colored spider outlines or labeled strands. Text below provides details about each web. The enclosures at the corner feature active hunter spiders, with labels and photos on the ledge below. Behind the smooth front glass on either side of the corner, the four enclosures are separated by clear panes. There is no tactile indication of the divisions. The rightmost enclosure, next to the web photos and spanning 10 inches, contains a pink-toed tarantula, a species that often lives in trees, It may be hiding in the foliage, clinging to the sides, or in a silk pocket it has made on the wall, something with just its feet peeking out. It is a dark color, except for the tips of its feet, which are capped with a light pink. The enclosure at the corner, spanning 12 inches from the pink-toed enclosure, and continuing for 12 inches around the corner, contains a goliath bird-eater— a giant tarantula that can eat almost any animal smaller than it. The enclosure is covered in a reddish-brown dirt with a piece of wood. The large tarantula is almost the same color as the ground, with a few lighter markings and covered with light hairs. Its cephalothorax, the front segment that combines the head and thorax, is about four centimeters across, and the large bulbous abdomen is about the size of a pool ball. Its legs extend from the cephalothorax, each about 9 centimeters long. The next enclosure, spanning 10 inches, contains a Mexican orange-kneed tarantula, black with orange marks, including a dark orange ring around the first knee-like leg joint. The leftmost enclosure, 10 inches wide, contains a wolf spider. This spider's body is about 1.5 centimeters long, with thin legs nearly twice as long as the body. Its body is brown, with a thin, light stripe along the top of its cephalothorax. Its long legs are a lighter, sandy brown. It is often hard to find, as it can hide behind the small pieces of wood or rocks in the enclosure, and its coloring blends into the sandy ground. The wall to the left of the enclosures has two large photos. In the top photo, A white spider with small orange spots sits in a cluster of purple flowers with a bumblebee held in its mouth. Below, a colorful spider stands on a branch, mostly black and white, with red and light blue markings, with two pairs of eyes clearly visible. The next section continues to the left. Follow the wall to the left to where it turns. Section 6. Insect Societies This section of the Insect Zoo covers a single 10-foot-long wall with two enclosures alternating with two groups of images. At the left, this section runs into the termite mound model with a low tunnel at its base starting a few feet back from this section's wall. So be aware that small children and occasional adults may be crawling out near the left end of this section. This section focuses on social insects such as termites, ants, and many wasps and bees that live in highly organized groups called colonies. Each individual has a role to play, working on behalf of the group. The colonies are superorganisms, and in some ways, the different castes function like parts of a human body. For example, the reproductive castes work like reproductive organs, worker castes, are like mussels. On the right side of the section are three photos below a title of Herders and Gatherers." two ants facing each other, their mouthparts meeting, ants on a plant stem surrounding small red and black insects, and a column of small black and red ants and two larger ants with long hooked jaws standing beside. To the left is an enclosure containing honeypot ants, These desert-dwelling ants forage for food during moist weather. Back at the nest, they regurgitate the food they collected to other honeypot workers called repletes, which serve as living storage jars. This enclosure is a cutaway view of subterranean chambers and the ground above. Small orange-brown ants may be found above ground or in the tunnels. The repletes may be found hanging from the ceilings of the chambers, with abdomens that look like translucent orange water balloons filled almost to bursting, sometimes larger than the rest of their bodies. The queen is occasionally visible, plumper, and about twice as long as the workers. Workers may also be tending to tiny grub-like larvae and cocoons the size of rice grains. To the left is a group of three images called the Defenders. A pair of stacked photos on the right show an ant's head with long serrated jaws and ants carrying a leaf-like insect. To the left, an illustration shows a cross-section of an ant nest with an ant blocking the entrance tunnel with its plug-shaped head. To the left is an enclosure containing acacia ants and an acacia plant, In the wild, the small red ants attack leaf-eating insects and clear away competing vegetation from the tree, which in turn provides the ants shelter in large thorns and food, including tiny pill-shaped structures on the leaf tips, called Belshian bodies. The next section is the African termite mound, which starts at the left end of this section. Follow the termite mound around past the tunnel opening to where there is a long inset panel about three feet from the ground. Section 7. African Termite Mound This section of the insect zoo is a life-size model of an African termite mound set around the corner where the Insect Society section ends and marks where the main hallway empties into the large open space. You can feel the craggy outer walls. The base of the mound is roughly circular, and if it were a clock face, with 12 o'clock facing the direction of the wall and windows, the end of the insect society section would intersect it at 2 o'clock, and you could walk around most of it until 12 o'clock. A tunnel through the base runs straight through from about 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Display panels and video screens are set in the rough outer wall and inside the tunnel. A sound recording from a termite colony plays inside the mound. From further away, the chewing may sound like moving water. Termites, a cockroach relative, have highly organized societies similar to those of ants, with kings, queens, soldiers, and workers. The nests of the African mound termite are engineering marvels, built of sand, soil, and termite saliva. This model termite mound has a large base about 8 feet tall with several rough spire-like mounds extending up further. The highest spire reaches to about 15 feet into a dome cut into the ceiling. You can crawl into the tunnel. It is 33 inches tall and 30 inches wide at the base. Inside is an illustrated cross-section of three connected chambers of a termite mound. Past the tunnel entrance at 6 o'clock is a a three-and-a-half-foot-long panel with text and an inset display detailing each of the five labor roles, such as soldiers and workers, including an orange line drawing of an individual and a pin for a preserved specimen. Going around clockwise, past the tunnel exit to 11 o'clock, an inset panel has text and a labeled diagram of a mound cross-section. Above the right corner of both displays, inset screens play a looping video with scenes from a termite colony, such as workers outside collecting bits of straw, or in the nest tending to the queen. The next section is in the corner of the open space, past the windows near the left side of the mound. Be aware that the arachnid and insect carts may be stored along the windows when not in use, and they have solid signs at head height that stick out to the side about nine inches. There may also be low stools on the ground in the area. Follow the termite mound around to the left as far as you can, then follow the short wall and windows to where the picket fence starts. Section 8. Our House, Their House This section of the insect zoo fills the corner of the large open area between two sets of floor-to-ceiling windows, surrounded by a curving, two-foot-tall picket fence in front of a line of consoles. In the corner itself is a model house, and to the right of the corner is a tall display. This section highlights insects that we humans interact with. The right side features some insects that make products used by humans, with a matching game. Against the wall is a tall display shaped like a yellow and orange honeycomb. A cut-out honeybee stands near the top, above a cluster of hexagons that extend forward. One reads, try again, and the others are photographs, some of insects, others of products like silk or honey. A console behind the fence has two rows of buttons and the photos from the wall, insects on top, products below. You can press an insect button and a product button together. If they match, the wall photos will light up. The left side of this section focuses on how our homes and yards make excellent insect habitats. Along the left side, just behind the picket fence, are eight consoles. In the corner behind these is a model house. The console's top angled surface has text about an insect, a display in the center, and a wide oval brass plaque below. On the plaques, you can feel an embossed insect. All have their heads pointed left. Some are positioned upright, as if standing on the plaque. Others are positioned on their side. Touching a plaque turns on lights in the model house where that insect can be found. From right to left, the console features... Flower beetles found in the kitchen. The plaque has a beetle embossed upright. It has a small, rounded rectangular head, followed by the thorax and abdomen, shaped like a domed oval, wider than the head, with a line, like a cut a third of the way back, indicating the top edge of the wings, folded over the body. A pair of segmented antennae curve out from the head, and three pairs of segmented legs splay out to the sides. German Cockroaches, found in the kitchen. The plaque has a cockroach, embossed upright. It has a stubby, rounded rectangular head, followed by the thorax, starting as a wider, rounded triangle pointing forward. From there, the body extends back in an elongated oval, ending in a point. There is a pair of wiry antennae on the head and three pairs of segmented legs. Silverfish, found in the bookshelf, and bathroom. The plaque has a silverfish embossed upright. It's shaped a bit like a rounded, segmented carrot, with the head at the wide end. Extending from the front of the head are a pair of antennae and two long mouthparts. There are three pairs of legs, and at the tip of the abdomen, three thin appendages sweep back. Adult fleas, found on the dog, embossed on its side. The plaque has an embossed flea positioned on its side. The details are very worn. The body is shaped a bit like a flattened light bulb with the head at the small end facing left. Three pairs of legs dangle down. Clothes moths found in the closet. The plaque has an embossed caterpillar positioned on its side. Its body is a worm-like cylinder with many segments. From the three segments after the head, the legs narrow points extend down. Further back, four segments have broader points extending down the prolegs. Carpenter ants, found in the rafters. The plaque has an ant embossed upright. Its body has a distinct head, thorax, and abdomen. The head, a rounded domed triangle, followed by the narrow domed oval thorax and a bulbous abdomen. A pair of antennae starts at the top of the head, and three pairs of legs extend from the sides of the thorax. Common mosquito found in the birdbath. The plaque has an embossed mosquito positioned upright. It has a small rounded head, a broader oval thorax, and an elongated segmented abdomen. The front of the head has mouth parts and antennae pointing forward. Three pairs of legs are splayed out from the thorax with oval wings stretching out between the first and second pairs of legs. Fireflies found in the yard. The plaque has an embossed adult firefly positioned upright. Its body is oval shaped with short half circles at the left side, followed by a domed oval with a short notch at the tip of the abdomen indicating a gap between the wings. A pair of antennae curl out from the sides near the front, and three pairs of legs extend from the sides. The displays for the flower beetle, German cockroach, and clothes moth have live insect enclosures. The others feature images. In the back corner is a model house with two stories, each about four feet tall, part of which is cut open like a doll's house to show the inside of a bedroom and bathroom on the top floor and a living room and kitchen below. In front is a painted yard with a birdbath. The next section begins opposite the left end of the picket fence. Follow the windows to the left 7 feet until you reach the corner with a tall structure modeled like a tree with rough bark. Section 9. Entomologists at Work This section of the insect zoo is along one wall spanning 25 feet from the windows on the right to the corner at the left. At the right end is a model tree with panels about bees to the left. Next to these is a window into the insect rearing room. To the left are several panels of text and a display window. A ledge spans the wall starting just past the tree model. This section explores entomology and how the museum and experts care for and study arthropods. In the right corner is a modeled tree, reaching from floor to ceiling with an inset oval window in the trunk, The contents have been removed, and the display will be remodeled or removed. On the wall to the left is a display shaped like cells of a honeycomb, with photos and text about honeybees. Next is a a three-and-a-half-foot-wide window with a view into the insect rearing room, through the emergence chamber. The museum receives shipments of pupae of over 100 different species of butterflies and moths from around the world, and many are kept here until they emerge. A ledge photo shows a staff member in a lab coat examining pupae. The emergence chamber is directly behind the window into the lab, a set of metal shelves within a glass case. Pupae hang from planks below the shelves. Cards identify the species and show an adult photo. Some pupae you may see are a pill-shaped two-and-a-half-centimeter-long butterfly chrysalis, metallic gold with black markings, or ones that look like brown or green leaves twisted into a narrow two-centimeter-long tube. There may be cocoons wrapped in beige silk and dead brown leaves. These can reach nine centimeters long. You may see butterflies or moths emerging or hanging from an empty pupa after stretching out their wings. Through the emergence chamber, the insect rearing room can be seen. There are shelves of aquariums and other arthropod enclosures. You may see staff working. On the wall to the left are panels. To the right, a set of nested boxes describe different groups of arthropods. On the left is a description of scientific names and classification, the key to identifying a specific species, using Apis mellifera the honeybee, as an example. The left third of this section has a a three-and-a-half-foot-wide case with rotating displays about entomology research. The next section is just around the corner. Continue following this wall to where it makes a wide turn. Section 10, How Dangerous Are They? This section of the insect zoo stretches about five feet along part of a single wall, there are two small enclosures at the center and text and images on the surrounding wall and ledge. This section focuses on some of the few instances of insects that can be a danger to humans through bites or as carriers of harmful diseases. The plague and malaria are both carried by insects. The Oriental rat flea picks up the plague-causing bacteria from rats before passing it to humans through bites while the Anopheles mosquito transmits the protozoan that causes malaria. Above the enclosures is a large illustration, gray lines covering a three-foot span of the blue wall, showing a scene from the Black Death, a field outside a 14th-century European city where bodies, stacked in horse-drawn carts, are moved to graves. Below the illustration to the left are two circles, with drawings of malarial and common mosquitoes at rest. In the center are two enclosures. Text and photos below provide information about the residents, spiders that can be harmful to humans, but only bite in self-defense. The enclosures are separated by a clear wall. The left has a terracotta flower pot on its side, and right, a gardening glove and a hand shovel. The left enclosure contains a black widow spider often found inside the pot, supported by thin silk strands. It has a smooth black body, nearly a centimeter long, with a large round abdomen and long thin legs, about two centimeters long. Depending on its position, you may see the characteristic red hourglass marking under the abdomen. The enclosure to the right contains a brown recluse spider, This spider can be difficult to find as its light brown color blends into the dirt and it is often near the glove or shovel-blade edge. A sign to the right describes the distribution of these spiders in the United States with shaded maps. Black widows are found across all the lower 48 states, while the range of brown recluse is limited to a small area in the southwest and an area in the south-central and midwest region. The next section is just around the corner to the left. Follow the wall to just past the turn. Section 11, Sonoran Desert Dwellers. This section of the insect zoo covers an 8-foot-long wall plus the short caps where the corners are cut at an angle. Five enclosures and a ledge below span the section. This section focuses on desert arthropods, which have different adaptations to handle the special challenges of heat, water shortages, and evaporation. For example, by having waxy coatings that keep in water or being active only at night. The set of five enclosures are separated by clear panes and mimic a desert scene, ground covered in sand and rocks with cactus, dead wood, and animal bones in some. Hiding is a way some desert arthropods avoid the heat, and many of the resident arthropods hide under or near objects in their enclosure. Text and photos on the ledge provide more information about each resident. The rightmost enclosure, seen from panes around the right side corner and the first foot of the main wall, contains a dark brown and reddish-tan centipede, with a flattened, segmented body, with one pair of legs extending to the sides from each segment behind the head. The second enclosure, to the left, is two feet wide and contains a Vingarun, with a dark, stout, rounded body and a wire-thin, tail-like structure, almost as long as the body itself. The center enclosure, two feet wide, contains two types of darkling beetles, and occasionally velvet ants. The larger beetle species is about three centimeters long with a black, smooth exterior. The smaller species is about two centimeters long and is usually a dusty, bluish-gray color with a rougher exterior with lines of tiny raised dots. Both have a small head and rounded thorax from which hardened wings fold back over the rest of the body giving it a domed appearance. The velvet ants look like large black furry ants with a patch of red fur on the abdomen and are actually wasps. The next enclosure to the left, two feet wide, contains a tarantula, its tan and brown body covered in light hairs, which often hides its burrow, a tunnel that leads down along the glass, ending in a rounded space. The last enclosure, the last foot of the main wall and continuing around the corner, contains a brown and tan scorpion, about 10 centimeters long. The next section is across the hall. From the left corner of this section, turn to face the opposite direction and walk forward about 7 feet to the rainforest entrance, where the floor changes from carpeting to smooth concrete. Section 12, Rainforest Riches. This large section of the Insect Zoo includes both sides of a 50-foot-long exhibit hallway. For this tour, you should start along the right side of the hallway, which has a textured wall. The smooth walls to the left at the start include a staff-only door that can open outwards. You may notice a change in lighting when you enter, as it is darker than the previous section. This section is built like a rocky corridor through a rainforest. It's a bit like walking through a diorama. You can feel the textured walls and artificial trees as you proceed, and vines and tree branches stretch out above. In places, parts of the wall jut out further than where they meet the ground. On the far end, this corridor exits into the Ancient Egypt exhibit. The section contains panels of text, ten enclosures, and several displays of preserved specimens, Ledges below most enclosures have related text and photos. This section focuses on rainforest dwellers. Two large panels at the entrance describe rainforests with an illustration and a map. Following along the right side, the wall turns lightly to the left, about 17 feet down. A window is set into the wall three feet above the ground, showing a diorama with passionflower vines and heliconius butterflies. The butterflies lay eggs on the vines, which have a range of defenses against the hungry caterpillars that will hatch out. Preserved butterflies and caterpillars are posed on a passion fruit vine model, and signs point out examples of plant defenses, such as false egg spots. Beyond, the path curves around, and a low bench extends from the right side wall, 20 inches from the ground and nearly 5 feet long. Just past the bench is a three-sided enclosure with a ledge filled with colorful bromeliad plants and cone-headed katydids. The katydids are about five centimeters long and bright green with a single yellow horn-like projection on the head. To the left of the katydids, the wall curves in and around before you reach two enclosures inset about a foot into the wall next to each other, both with smooth angled ledges in front of of the inset windows. The short enclosure on the right, starting two feet off the ground, is full of plants, including a pitcher plant. Photos below show other types of carnivorous plants. The enclosure to the left, starting two and a half feet off the ground, has emperor scorpions, but it's dark with no lights inside. On the ledge below is a button. Pressing it turns on a UV black light, which makes any scorpions in view glow blue-green. To the left, the wall curves around and another enclosure is embedded in the wall. It contains amblypigids, which lurk in cracks and other protected places. Their mottled brown bodies are flattened with a broad triangular cephalothorax and oval abdomen. Long spiked pedipalps extend from the front of the head, often held straight out to the side and folded in half. Behind the petapulps are four sets of long, segmented legs, the first pair resembling a long, wiry antennae. Beyond this enclosure is the exit to the Ancient Egypt exhibit. To continue this tour, turn to face opposite from the Amplipigid enclosure and walk forward about six feet. You will be in front of a large model strangler fig tree with thick vines tangled around the trunk. In eight of the gaps are small oval windows. Five have enclosures with live insects that are rotated, and such as praying mantises, small stick insects, and large rhinoceros beetles. The others have preserved specimens, a morpho butterfly, a peanut-headed bug, and a longhorn beetle. To the left of the fig tree is a large mound covering most of the wall, with a tree on top and roots reaching down along either side and between two enclosure windows. These contain leafcutter ants, which gather leaves and plant material to feed their underground gardens of fungus, their sole source of food. The left side has space for a bundle of leafy branches, and a tunnel leads through the center wall to the right side which has six small chambers. When inhabited, these chambers may have different contents, some filled with clumps of a fuzzy white and gray fungus, with ants tending to the garden. Currently, a TV monitor in the left section shows a live feed of a young colony being raised in the rearing lab until it is ready to be placed on exhibit. This more magnified view of the fungus garden may show that the fungus clump exteriors have tall but thin ridges in irregular patterns made of tiny brown pieces of plant matter and small white dots of fungus. An inset box on the right below the chambers has a preserved queen specimen with a large dark red, almost black body. To the left, the mound slopes down and a tree is set against the left side wall with a large brown mass of a termite nest at the fork of a branch. Below, on the slope of the mound, about 18 inches off the ground, is a small inset enclosure, window parallel to the floor, with giant cockroaches. These are about 6 centimeters long and are a flattened oval shape, a light yellow-brown with dark brown markings. The next section is around the corner from where you entered. Continue along the wall and turn right when you get to the main hallway. Section 13, Mangrove Swamp. This section of the insect zoo spans 13 feet. At the left end, the wall angles forward slightly with text and images. On the right, an 8-foot-wide window into a diorama of a mangrove swamp starts at 3 feet above the ground. In the wall below, near the ground, five half-globes of clear acrylic that extend a few inches out. This section features mangrove swamps, microhabitats on tropical and subtropical coasts with plants and animals evolved to cope with the changing conditions, such as the changing tide levels and mixtures of fresh and salt water. The diorama has four mangrove trees, their trunks a few centimeters across, with roots extending down from the trunk into the translucent green resin water, looking a bit like leafless upside-down branches. In the trees are a termite nest, a large irregular mass that looks like a mound of dirt wrapped around the trunk, and animals such as crabs and beetle larvae, Some are identified by signs. Drawings of trees form a backdrop and continue on the outer wall around the window. Below are five bubble tanks, a foot or so off the ground. The marine arthropods in these tanks change. A sign on the left lists some possible species with photos, such as peppermint shrimp. The next section is to the left. Follow the wall to where a ledge starts. Section 14, Freshwater Pond. This section of the insect zoo spans five walls set around the corner of the Thriving Through Change and Mangrove Swamp sections. A ledge features text, photos, specimens, and an interactive display. This section focuses on ponds, which offer arthropods many different microhabitats. They can live on or hang from the pond's surface, swim freely, or burrow in the mud bottom. All five sides of this section have clear panes above the ledge instead of a solid wall, and the middle three sides each have a large aquarium, three feet long in the center wall and two and a half feet wide on either side. Behind the panes is a large photo of an edge of a pond with gaps for the aquariums. The aquariums have different mixes of arthropods which rotate, Residents may include water scorpions, large dark brown insects with a tail-like breathing tube at the end of their abdomen, or crustaceans, such as a blue crayfish. The first short side, next to the mangrove section, shows part of the pond photo on the wall and photos and text about giant water bugs, water scorpions, and whirligig beetles on the ledge. The second side, to the left, has an aquarium and on the ledge, a water scavenger beetle photo with text, and an inset window with a photo and pinned specimens of a water boatman, giant water bug, back swimmer, and predaceous diving beetle. All are in shades of brown, and the first and second are small, about a centimeter long, and the other two are larger, three or four times as long. The third side, at the center, has an aquarium in the wall— The ledge has text and, in the middle, an interactive video screen. It features the sounds of insects and other animals from around ponds. The screen has eight boxes labeled with the name of an animal. Touching a box will bring up a photo or video of the animal above a spectrogram of the sound and play the call. To access the buttons, a volunteer may be able to help. The animals listed are... Red winged blackbird. A video shows a blackbird with a sliver of red and orange on its shoulders, which tips its head up as it calls. Field cricket. A photo shows a dark brown cricket from above. Water boatman. A photo of a flattened, teardrop shaped insect underwater. Katydid. A video of a bright green katydid viewed from below, abdomen squeezing and expanding as it calls. Spring peeper frog, a photo shows an orange and brown frog. Cone-headed grasshopper, a photo of a green insect with yellow markings facing forward. Cicadas, a video shows a black, yellow, and red cicada standing on a tree branch. Kingfisher, two photos show the heads of birds facing left with their long beaks open slightly. First a light blue bird, then a reddish-orange one. The fourth side has an aquarium in the wall. On the ledge is a photo and text about water striders and an inset window showing a diagram and pin specimen of a naiad, the aquatic immature form of dragonflies and damselflies. The last side is in line with the Thriving Through Change section. It shows part of the pond photo on the wall and a labeled photo of a whirligig beetle head, highlighting the divided eye that lets it see above the water from the top part and underwater from the bottom part. This is the last permanent exhibit section on the tour. The next section covers the carts and tarantula feedings. If you haven't checked those out yet and want to, they will be behind you in the large open area. If you're finished, go to the conclusions track. Section 15, Insect Touch Cart and Tarantula Feeding. This section describes a set of activities located in the large open area at the end of the exhibit. There are two large carts that may be set up in this area and attended by volunteers or stored off to the side when not in use. They're both three feet wide, three feet tall, and two feet deep. Be aware that each has a signpost on one corner with a solid sign at head level that extends out to the side 9 inches, with the lower edge four and a half feet off the ground. The insect cart features live insects that visitors can examine up close, touch, or hold with the assistance of volunteers. The insects on the cart will vary. Commonly available species are the Madagascar hissing cockroach, a long wingless cockroach, and eastern lubber grasshoppers. The arachnid cart has specimens of different types of arachnids, including mites, ticks, harvestmen, amblopigids, and wind scorpions, in addition to spiders and true scorpions. Live specimens may be on the cart, though none can be handled by visitors. Tarantula feedings occur three times a day at 1030 Eleven thirty and one thirty on weekdays, and eleven thirty, twelve thirty, and one thirty on weekends. The presenter will bring out the tarantula in a clear box on a cart to the middle of the space marked by the outline of a tarantula in the carpet. Visitors can gather outside the outline. A video screen up on the wall near the model tree shows an overhead view. The presenter will share information. Give the tarantula a cricket, and then put the box on the cart to allow visitors to look, ask questions, and check out other objects, sometimes including molted exoskeletons that can be handled. These often last 10 to 25 minutes from when the tarantula is brought out to when it is returned. For more information about what is currently available, ask the volunteers. Conclusion This concludes the audio-described tour of the Insect Zoo. If you want to check out the Butterfly Pavilion, walk along the Sonoran Desert Dwellers section past the rainforest entrance on the left. Continue for several yards to the ticketing desk on the right. To reach other exhibits or the exit, you can either continue past the ticketing desk to reach the rotunda or retrace your steps to the Ancient Egypt Exhibit. The mall exit is on the first floor, and the Constitution Avenue exit is on the ground floor. Thank you for visiting the National Museum of Natural History's Insect Zoo. We hope that you have had an enjoyable and interesting visit with this audio-described tour. This tour was produced by the American Council of the Blind's Audio Description Project and supported by a grant from the Aid Association for the Blind of the District of Columbia. It was written by Sarah Studer with descriptive support from Dr. Francisco Lima and Eric Bridges and voicing and editing by Joel Snyder. This tour is dedicated to the memory of Elaine Rita Hodges, longtime scientific illustrator at the National Museum of Natural History, and Dr. Ron Hodges, an entomologist who pursued his research for many years at the museum.